it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. This is the last podcast of 2016. It's a review of the whole year in snooker. I was joined a few days ago by the former world number three and one of snooker's leading commentators, Neil Folds. Well, the year traditionally starts with the Masters, and of course there was a lot of anticipation in 2016 because Ronnie O'Sullivan was coming back. Everyone wondered what would happen. It's worth remembering, I think, he could have lost first round. He uh, was five each with Mark Williams, who went for a, a long-range plant, missed it. O'Sullivan won the match, went on won the tournament, beat Barry Hawkins 10-1. Um, and then went on and won the, won the Welsh Open pretty soon after that. And I think particularly Neil, the Welsh, his performance was outstanding, wasn't he? He played well at the Masters, but in Wales he was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I suppose... Um the way he played in the Masters in the the final, what he did to Barry Hawkins, got him back racing again, you know, and it's a tournament that he loves. As you say, I mean, things can be so different, can't they? The, the Mark Williams match, you know, all of a sudden he's derailed straight away and nothing happens. But in the Welsh, all the way through, he played just to a to a different level to what we've seen for quite some time, you know. He's, it should be remembered that he beat Mark Selby in both of those tournaments as well, and, and that's something that, that, that since we found out it's extremely difficult for him or anyone else to do. But... If I remember at the time of the Welsh, he needed to win it to to be involved in the World Grand Prix because he didn't really have any ranking points, did he? You know, mm. he thought, well, he's, he's somewhere along the lines, he's not going to win it. I mean, I really wanted to see him in the tournament, obviously, for the tournament's sake. And then, of course, he comes up against Neil Robertson in the final and, and demolishes him as well. It was it, it, the break-making he made, including that one four six, which, of course, yeah. people he got so much stick for. I think that was the most unbelievably good break. And, <laughs> and I never quite joined in on, on all that. I never, I never thought that there was anything all that wrong in doing it. You know, I didn't like it when he didn't take the black on that time, um, which I think was against Mark King, was it? But uh, when he got one forty and refused a black because of the break prize, but I didn't like that. But when he made the one four six, it, it got in the news. It, you know, everyone was talking about the snooker and thought oh, Sullivan's back and he's back at his best. Mm. And we just saw as well at the Masters, I mean, it was the sixth time he'd won it, and he's a big personality, Roddy O'Sullivan, and that tournament is perfect for him. One table, we've, we heard later in the year, you know, he doesn't particularly like the early rounds of some of the events where there's one to eight, he likened it to a zoo and all sorts of other things, but you saw also the effect he has on his opponents. Barry Hawkins beat Judd Trump in the semi-finals, really good, played really well, really good performance, but then he capitulated in the final. Yeah, interestingly, it gave, it gave the impression there 
that he didn't fancy beating Ronnie O'Sullivan, which you know, come the World Championships was proved to be wrong. But given that he'd taken a couple of heavy thrashings to him or uh, significant beatings, you know, at Sheffield over long matches, it, it just looked like he got into the final. Didn't fancy the job one bit to me. So, you know, I know we're going to come to it, but all credit that he did turn that around later on in the season. Okay, well, February, uh, Berlin, the Tempodrome, not all the top players qualified for the German Masters. Martin Gould was there, and he broke through. I think we've been waiting for it for a long time. Everyone knows how talented Martin is, but until you do it, you know, he, I suppose he himself wasn't sure whether he could win a, a really big tournament, but he did, and, you know, it's a pretty forbidding atmosphere there. It's a little bit like the old Wembley Conference Centre. Maybe the fans are a little bit better behaved. They're certainly enthusiastic, but good to see a new winner, because Martin Gould, he loves his snooker. He does love, love his snooker. And you know, the thing about that, and not just in hindsight, he actually looked the winner quite a long way out in that tournament. He, he was playing by far the best snooker. He, he got a, something going right in his technique, and, and, he, and he looked very good that week. And, you know, it was, it was a, a surprising outcome, wasn't it? I mean, the strange thing about that tournament, I mean, I've already said there is a curse when you win it, which I wouldn't mind ever having that curse myself, is that you don't win it again. Obviously, that's ludicrous to say that. But <laughs> Another curse. No one, the others. Yeah. yeah, nobody's won it twice, basically, yeah. and, and of course that was, until someone does, we'll, we'll just leave it at that, but, you know, the final was between Gould and, and uh, Luca Brussel, who, who had played so well to get there as well, Luca Brussel beating Karen Wilson. And Martin Gould, he'd beaten Graham Dot. So those semi-finalists were quite surprising. And like you say, the atmosphere has often brought out the best in the best players. So he won it on merit, you know. And I think Martin Gould believed at the time, and I think that he said to one or two of the guys that maybe it was going to be like London Bus, it was going to, one was going to bring two or three. It hasn't quite worked out that way. Unfortunately, life isn't like that, especially as a snooker professional, unless you're Steve Davis, Stephen Hendry, or John Higgins or O'Sullivan. You know, these guys over the years have dominated the game to win something should never be assumed that you can just keep winning. Yeah, and what we also saw in Germany, I mean, you mentioned that the semi-final line, you probably wouldn't have chosen it, they weren't all big hitters, but it was packed. And it just shows that the German public, uh, the snooker public, they love their snooker, they've got their favourites, of course they like the big stars, but they'll come and support the so-called lesser lights as well, and they were rewarded with uh, some, some excellent snooker once again this year. Of course, by this stage of the, the, the year, the, the, uh, the stage of the season, the tournaments just start coming thick and fast, and the, the shootout was one of them. I think the, the thing to say about that was Robin Hull. Everyone was pleased to see him win a tournament. He's had terrible health problems, uh, and it was nice to see him lifting a trophy. It, yeah, and, and you know, the shootout, I mean, you can literally have 20 goes at that, and you could probably have 50 goes uh, for the shootout with 128 players and still not pick the winner. I mean, Robin is a fine player. I've, I've seen a lot of Robin over the years because he used to practice in West London, the club in Ealing, which I was involved in. But um, surprised but delighted to see him win, you know. So that was that was good news for him. Um, you know, significantly, you know, it, the, the £32,000 meant a lot and also the fact that it got him into the champion of champions, or as one of you, Sullivan calls it, the Champions Cup. <laughs> um, amazing he's won it twice, he yeah. doesn't know the name of it, nor does he particularly care. Um, so th there is something to be said for that. Of course, it's a ranking tournament now, so um, it it's a lottery, but it's fun. Mm, yeah, well, he uh, deserved a trophy, as I say, with all these problems. Of course, by this stage, we're sort of late February now, all you hear is the countdown to the Crucible, and of course, Stuart Bingham had in his ear, really from when he when he won the title, the Crucible curse, there's a, there's a curse that people do talk a lot about, no first-time champion defending the title, and he didn't have a good season, let's be honest, but he did get to a final, the World Grand Prix, and he came very close to winning it, Sean Murphy beat him 10-9, again, you know, you expect Sean Murphy to win a tournament, it happened to be that one, I know you were there for ITV, and again, also for the Players' Championship, Mark Allen, a player you, you would expect probably to win a tournament during the season, he came away with that one as well. I remember he was really satisfied with that. He gave it the uh, the old fist when he won. 
Yeah, just going back to you know the World Grand Prix, the one thing I remember about that, because it's always so nice in Clandidno where we play that North Wales, um, I got to the point where I, I interviewed Stuart Bingham, I should think about, only about seven or eight times, but it got to the point where I said, look, Stuart, I'm not going to say to you again, what is it like to be uh, introduced as the world champion? Because I said, I'm fed up with asking it. He goes, well, yeah, you have asked me that a lot, and other people have asked me a lot as well. And what I remember is how um, cooperative he was all the way through the season. So I was really pleased to see him get to that final. And, you know, in the end, he just lost narrowly, didn't he, to Sean Murphy. And, you know, there was two tournaments in quick succession that were ITV events, uh, obviously, like you say, and then Sean got to the final of both. And I think, from his point of view, Mark Allen beating him in the Players' Championship in Manchester uh, a couple of weeks later, there was Sean missing a li little bit of a trick, I thought, winning back-to-backs and starting to maybe show a bit of dominance on the game. And, of course, he's found it hard to do so since. However, you know, Mark Allen was overdue as well. In amongst all this, uh, Judd Trump won the Championship League and then he won the China Open. Um, again, every year the tournament before the World Championship is sort of overshadowed by it. You can't, can't be helped. Whatever the tournament is, people are turning their minds to the crucible. And that's another curse, I think, that yes. you, never, you never win that and then you win the World Championship. And, and he didn't. But he played great in Beijing. And again, another player, Judd Trump, you're expecting him to pick up trophies. I mean, if you, pick, if you win the World Championship, right, and you win the German um, the next season, there's no chance of you ever winning the German again, right? <laughs> and uh, you're clearly not going to be world champion that year. Obviously, being flippant, you know, the Crucible curse is not really anything like that. But uh, it doesn't help that um, the tournament before the China Open very rarely you know, provides the winner of the World Championships either. And, of course, we always think, that, oh, you know, with Judd Trump and beat Ricky Walden in the final, played well to do so. Um, and just looking back, actually, he beat Steve Maguire 16 in the semi, so he was the best player. And, um, you know, that, that's sort of quite a long-standing tournament in the calendar now, isn't it? It's far enough away from the World Championships that uh, it, there shouldn't really be any, any issue with it. I do remember we used to play that the Scottish Open, mm -hmm. Uh, literally the week before or something like that the, the, whoever won it was never going to win the world championships but um, of course Judd didn't go on and become world champion and you know, even though everyone seems to think that he's going to do it at some point well, he's going to have to do it soon because it's going to be too late but that tournament in itself I shouldn't be taken lightly I do think the China Open and the, the, the event in Shanghai are you know, they're, they're very much entrenched on the calendar now, aren't they, as big ones? Yeah, well, you mentioned Steve Maguire, their semi-finalist. Of course, getting to the semis, he knocked Ding out of the top 16. So now Ding had to go to qualify in Sheffield for the Crucible. Everyone was wondering how that would go. Well, he got through really easily. He seemed to win all his matches easily. And it seemed to do him a favour, really, because he turned up at Sheffield not as a seed under pressure, but actually as someone who had match play, slightly different scenario, came through quite close opening round. I think it was against Martin Gould and got all the way to the final. And I thought he actually played probably the best snooker of the tournament, but, of course, in the final, he came up against the iron man of the game, Mark Selby. Two things about that. First of all, I can think of many players, and certainly when I was playing, you know, having been a 16 player for so many years, the year you go out of the 16 and you have to qualify, you immediately think of the worst. You know, Goodness me, I might have been involved in the World Championships here, and you can fall to pieces and turn into jelly. Ding didn't seem remotely bothered about it. You know, I don't know what goes on inside his head, but... He turned up at the qualifiers. His first fan opponent, I've forgotten the name of, um, Irish chap. Greg Casey, I think. Greg, what a shout, what a shout. We haven't looked this up. At the end of the match, apparently, he was having selfies with Ding at the other end of the table. You know, he didn't fancy beating him. Yeah. He was just pleased to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Here's my selfie with Ding. I, I got to play him. Mm. So he won that. He got through easily. I think Nigel Bond was in there somewhere who he beat comfortably also. So he breathed through the qualifiers, and, and that suited him, really, because it, I actually think that helped him because it got him playing proper snooker again. I think he'd been in seemingly away from 
the grassroots, if you like, without being patronising of the game for so many years now, um, playing those three qualifiers, I think he sharpened him up. Mm. And then, of course, Peter Ebden, the other point I was going to make, he seemed to think it was absolutely impossible for anybody to qualify and become world champions so close together. Well, it, in some ways he was right because it never happened, but he got blinking close to doing so. Mm. We mentioned Barry Hawkins capitulating to have Sullivan at the Masters. I guess for him that made his victory over him at the Crucible much uh, the sweeter because uh, he'd taken a couple of pastings there from Ronnie in the past and uh, it was a, a terrific win and, and it, it, I think from Ronnie O'Sullivan's point of view, you know, he lost that final to Mark Selby in 2014. If he'd have won that, that would have been six world titles. You could have seen him going on to win seven, but he's stuck on five. Now, five's great. Five's an incredible achievement, but that defeat to Hawkins is another year now until he can possibly get closer to the Stephen Henry record. I thought Ronnie looked quite nervous in that match. You know, he's a little bit shaky, and uh, Barry played marvellous stuff, and uh, eventually 13-12 was the score. It was a tremendous game of snooker, and you had to be pleased for Barry, but of course disappointed if you're an O'Sullivan fan who when he goes out of a tournament, unless you're someone you've got to, who's got to play him, there's no getting away from it. There's a, a little bit of the tournament lost, you know. I mean, people will just probably dislike me for saying that, but I'd love to see him playing well and, and, and in these tournaments to the end. However, he, he lost to him, and then, of course, as I remember, he, he had to come out the next yeah. day and he had a reaction. and 9-1 down to food, didn't know where he was. And only lost 13-11 yeah. in the end. Yeah, yeah, um, he made a great comeback, but it just shows you what it meant to him. He's actually said he's... he's Best ever win, and he's won tournaments, Barry Hawkins, but he said beating Ronnie was the best ever win, but he needed like a day, maybe two days in between to get over it, come out the next day and was just still thinking about it and still in a bit of a daze, and of course Marco Fu played so well. But everyone seems to say, oh, you know, it seems I'm very unfair, finishing late at night and playing again the next morning, whatever. This is not some new phenomenon, and the, 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 the sort of scheduling of the, the Crucible has hardly changed since, uh, since it was there in, the, in 77, so not much has changed. Great players have had to play late at night and again the next morning, um, and uh, and they've done it. You know they've yeah. achieved it because they're great players. Well, Mark Selby is one of them, and of course he played the that lengthy uh, semi final against Marco Fu, which finished on the Saturday night. Uh, there were times in the tournament where he wasn't playing his best snooker against Sam Baird in the second round. He, he really struggled in that one to, to put him away, but he demonstrated his toughness. And I guess it, when it came to the final, he'd been in world finals before. He knew what it was about. It was Ding's first time. Selby went 6-0 up, Ding did come back at him, but just couldn't quite get in front and then pull away and win it. Yeah, I mean, it, I, going into the tournament, I didn't give him much chance. He pulled out the two previous <coughs> events for reasons unexplained. No one's really ever found out why. Um, but uh, whatever the reasons were, you know, he got a break anyway, got a rest, and it worked in his favour. And I don't think he played at his best during, during that uh, championship. And, you know, as much as I'm, I'm a big fan of Mark Selby, I, I think it would have been great for the game had Ding won. But, you know... You've got to give all credit to Mark because at times he was, you're going to have to scrape me off the table. You know, I think this is where your expression, go home snooker, <laughs> uh, you're drunk, whatever it was you said, you know, that day. It's why it become a great, and that was one of the matches, wasn't it? That it, it was, was uh, the was final. That it was the first day of the final. Last yeah. frame of the first day, they couldn't, couldn't do anything. They were just exhausted. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was, it was a great comment, and it, it did feel like that. And, you know, you always think with, with Mark Selby that. You know, at the worst point of exhaustion, he's, he's going to struggle the next day. But he seems to regroup very quickly. And, uh, you know, he, he was a worthy champion. And he's kind of got this this double world championship now. And to win it once is a wonderful achievement. But to, to win it more than once um, kind of takes you to a new level, I think, as a player. Yeah, I think he, what he demonstrated was just how much he loved snooker. Because there were times where other players would have got really frustrated at not being able to produce their best snooker. But he 
accepted that it can be a struggle and just loves being out there, loves being at the crucible, being anywhere playing and claiming away, as you say, with the trophy on the night that Leicester City, of course, won the Premier League title. It wasn't much of a break uh, between seasons. Of course, we have the Q School and then the first tournament of the year was the first tournament of the season was in Riga, uh, sort of upgraded to a full ranking event. Neil Robertson won that one and what it means is that every year now since he won his first title, in 2006, the Grand Prix, he's won a title of some sort, be it ranking, be it the Masters or whatever, which is a great record. He didn't know that, actually, till we told him, but, uh, you know, to win titles every year, there's been, there's been slumps within seasons, and he's been on one lately, let's be honest, but he's still he's going to come good at some point. He's going to come back, isn't he? No doubt about that. He's had a bit of a rough spell, but as they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and I think in his case, he's a world-class player. Um, I, I think, um, the more I think about it, I mean, even if he continues a little bit out of form, I, that would, in my opinion, enhance his chance of becoming world champion again because, as we've seen before, players who have good runs going into the world championships often fall to pieces at the Crucible, so maybe there's going to be something good come out of all this for him. It's always good to see a new winner, particularly a younger person coming through. Anthony McGill won the Indian Open. He's a player, we're here in Scotland recording this, John Higgins, I remember a few years ago when Anthony was a teenager, said he's one to watch. Alan McManus spoke very highly of him when he qualified for the Crucible. But again, a bit like Martin Gould, until you actually break through and win one, you know, you, you haven't proved yourself. But that's a, that's a, that's a good win. It's a, a short-form event, but you know, they're still tough to win. And also, he, he's, you know, since then, he's struggled a little bit. So he's got the same uh, going on as uh, what happened with uh, Martin Gould. You know, when he won, it was quite difficult for him after that. And I think uh, Anthony McGill feels that too. So, um, you know, he, he, he hasn't really played to his best after that. But he is a, a good player. And like you say, McManus speaks so highly of him. He has him down as a future world champion, so uh, we'll see how that goes. But you know, the fact for now, he's won a ranking event, and uh, that was very much deserved. I actually think he's somebody that, uh, as I understand it, didn't stop playing when the world championships ended because he had a good run in the world championships, and then I don't even think he had a day off, as, as I'm told after that. So maybe he's got a little bit stale thereafter. But you know, it helped him to win the Indian. Ali Carter won the World Open, a very good final against Joe Perry. Paul, uh, the point of classic went to Mark Selby. Now, this time, Ding Junhui had not won a tournament and was not in the Champion of Champions, and then all of a sudden he appeared he appeared on the line for being runner-up at the Crucible, which uh, apparently, the criteria said, got you in the tournament. No one knew this. But then, just to sort of almost sort of prove the point, he then won two tournaments back-to-back. He won the six Reds, and then he won the Shanghai Masters. And he was very emotional after winning in Shanghai. He beat Selby in the final. He was in tears. It just shows you what it means to him to do well on home soil. Absolutely right, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I was winding up Alan McManus to say, well, look, if you'd have beaten Ding, <laughs> clearly you'd have been in it. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, wouldn't have happened. I mean, I, well, I don't know, maybe it would, but I'd be absolutely bewildered if they uh, changed that rule if it had been anyone but Ding. Obviously, for him to, to play in the Chairman of Champions was always going to be a good thing. I, I was pleased when he got into it, even by winning his six reds, but like you say, Shanghai was a was a great effort for him, and uh, well, now you know what, probably what it meant to him, because on either side of that, he lost him in the World Championships, and he's taken a heavy beating uh, since from, from Selby, which I'm sure you're going to come to in a minute, so maybe it was more of an effort than you thought for him to beat um, uh, Mark Selby, who's probably as hard as anyone to beat in the game right now. Yeah, I love watching Ding play. He's, he seems to, I know he won those five events that, that season three years ago, but he does seem to go missing at times during the season. You almost sort of forget he's there. I mean, he, do, he didn't enter a couple of tournaments. He didn't enter the, the Scottish Open rap this week. But when he's playing his best as a break builder, he's just uh, fantastic to watch. And of course, against John Higgins at the Champion Championship, you know, he made four centuries, still lost. I know, that was an amazing game of snooker there. And, and you're right, Ding is a strange one, as you say, because he's worst at times, you think, goodness, he's, 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 he's sort of gone to the game. But um, 
when everything comes together, he, you know, he, he looks he looks like a, as good a break builder and scorer as dare I say O'Sullivan and one or two of those guys. So you know, he's right up there. He's been a prolific winner over the years. I, I suppose at times you wonder if it's difficult to, for him to get motivated, um, given that. Um, you know, he, he, I guess he's got a lot of money. I, I know he's got really good logo sponsors and all of that. He earns good money out of all that. So, you know, he's he's got to be driven by the game sometimes. And I, I don't I think money's ever going to be a problem in his life. So uh, that, that's the fine balance between the two things. And what we saw as the year continued was that players had their little spells. And Judd Trump had a great spell. He won a terrific final in a, a new territory for snooker, Romania, the new European Masters. He beat Ronnie O'Sullivan from 8-6 down, 9-8 Possibly his best win, really, considering who he beat and how he beat him. He took on a great blue, eight six down, do or die, went on and won, and then got to the final of the next event, the Home Nations uh, in uh, in Manchester. Let's talk about the, the Home Nations series because uh, very interesting start we had the first two tournaments. Liang Wenbo and Mark King. You know, I don't think many people listening would have put them in a double to win the first two events. No, not a chance. And not that Liang Wenbo is not uh, a good player because you know he had been in the. Um, the final of the UK Championship at the end of uh, of last year, hadn't he? So, the, you know, there's no reason to assume that he wasn't capable of winning. But when he beat Judd Trump in the final, there was a really good match. I thought Judd was brilliant, actually. You know, that clearly they are good friends. He was very sporting in defeat. Liang was jumping up and down, and you know, can find joy. <laughs> Love to see that, don't you? People happy to win. And well, uh, he started celebrating before he'd won, of course. Two two balls to park. Now they looked unmissable, but with all the adrenaline, you, you kind of never know. Could have backfired. Yeah, that was a risk. But you know, he, I think that's how he is. You know, he seems to you know, play with that sort of. Uh, un seemingly uncaring way and it, it helps him get through things and get through moments and you know he won that on merit as far as Mark King winning well I mean you and I commentated on the final session that was just fantastic I couldn't have seen Mark winning I have to be honest and I'd say that to him you know I just didn't think he was going to win that tournament or I didn't think he'd win a ranking event I thought he, you know his, 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 his time had been and gone without that but he did win and you know sometimes you think well you've got to have the final between Ronnie O'Sullivan and, and John Higgins or players or Judd Trump's got to be in there or you know, Robertson or Ding to see a great final. But that was as good a final with Barry Hawkins as I've seen, actually, all, all year because it just there was lots of things. There was that frame where there was 20 in it on the pink and black and the black was over the pocket and Mark King kept putting the pink over the top of the black and thinking, well, we all think he's wasting his time. He's never going to get the snooker. Eventually, it was almost impossible for, for Barry to keep the black out and he knocks it in and... Uh, end up winning the match 9-8 so that, that was a great final it was great all his family were there you know and um, that was one of the great moments of the year I think I agree it, it, and it's, what it shows is that why snooker I think is so popular as a TV sport it's not just about the quality of the play on the table it's about the stories the narrative around it and we kept saying you know Mark King 25 years on the tour taking a lot of knocks in that time you know think of all the defeats in qualifiers the long drives home thinking, why am I doing this, should I do something else, kept coming back for more, and eventually got the trophy, and you know, he's quite a tough guy, Mark, but he was in floods of tears, understandably, his family all came into the arena, it was just good to see someone who'd slogged it out for so long, finally getting a trophy, and I suppose it gives everyone else hope who's done the same, yeah, maybe one day I could do that. Yeah, and, and what he said, I spoke to him recently about it, and he said just before the tournament, he, he said he just felt as if he, he couldn't pull a ball, you know, he's struggling, so sometimes... If you're good enough, and clearly he's a, he is a good player, you know he's been in ranking tournaments, finals before, albeit not recently. You know, no matter how bad a play, you're playing, if you're good enough, sometimes low expectation can be in your favour, you know, because you can be pleasantly surprised by how things go, and it can be, 
the snowball effect, and by the end of it, he obviously believed he could win. But from what he said, it was only when he was 7-5 in the final, having won a lot of frames, because he was behind in that final as well, that he thought he could actually lift the trophy. So maybe it was kind of nice not to be thinking about winning it until right at the end. Yeah. Well, I mentioned Trump had his little spell. John Higgins, of course, had a, had a golden spell uh, to win the two big invitation events back-to-back. The new China Championship, that was 200,000. Champion of Champions in Coventry, 100,000. The way he won in China... Seven each with Stuart Bingham, finished off with three centuries. Just unprecedented, really. And then champion of champions, of course, he's up against Ronnie O'Sullivan. And again, very strong at the finish, proving to everyone that he's still a big-time winner. Yeah, I think that China Championship, which just appeared out of nowhere, didn't mm. it, a few weeks before on the, you know, on the calendar, and it was like shoehorned right in between events. And we thought, this is a, a nuisance, but of course John Higgins wouldn't think that. It was £200,000 first prize. As it happens, it was anything but. It was a really good tournament. <coughs> Excuse me. Which... Um, I'm sure we're going to see more of because I think it's going to be a ranking event, yeah. as I understand it. So, um, from that point of view, it, it's, a, it's a real a good addition to the snooker tour, and there's a lot of money in it as well. And um, invitationals can be can go one way or the other. You know, the Masters is huge, Champion of Champions is getting bigger, um, but something else like that, a valuable event in, in you know, somewhere in Asia, like in China, like that was. Uh, it's a good event, and of course John was delighted to win it, and it seemed to mean more, probably because it was good money, but it was a great field. And then the champion of champions, I mean, I've got a soft spot for this event, obviously, because it, um, it was one of the first I covered for ITV, which was, was great for me. Um, and, but it was a great tournament to be in, no doubt, because you've got to win something, you know, unless you ding, obviously, who ended up winning too, <laughs> but, you know, without getting into all that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, you, you've got to win something to be in it in general, or um, there's a bit of a head-scratcher when you get 14 winners and you don't know what to do with the other ones, but... Um, Great event and a great final as well with John Higgins and Ronnie O'Sullivan, which uh, John Higgins just continued that wonderful form. Yeah, and Ronnie during the event was saying that how much he enjoyed it again, like the Masters one table, and and I think it's good to have a mix of events, isn't it? You can't have every event just for sixteen players, but every now and again it's nice to have a bit of room at the tournament. I mean, there's some events where players have to practice on the same table because it just aren't, isn't the room for everybody. Mm. Um, the, the, I think the new Home Nations events where everyone's at the venue, there's a lot going on, it's quite good. But it's nice to have a mix rather than just every event the same. Yeah, I think a lot of the uh, tournaments abroad where there's 128 players in them, they, they really do struggle with the practice facilities because most of the guys come from the UK, don't they? And, um, yeah, you know, as you say, you, you tend to get two guys on the same table, top and tailing, and you, it, the, the guy that seems to be the lowest ranked or the, the worst player on the, of the two on ranking ends up having to hit the yellow instead of the, the cue ball. The cue ball is usually the higher ranked, or a world champion would never be forced to play the yellow. No, the, the champion champion is a great event. Ronnie's won that twice, um, but he was you know beaten in the final by John Higgins. It was a classic final between two to still great players. Mm. But the year, you have to say, belonged to Mark Selby. He remained world number one throughout the whole year. He's been there something like 96 weeks now as we record this. And, of course, won that international championship in the uh, back end of October, early November. He hammered Ding in the final, 10-1. I don't think anyone saw that scoreline coming. And then the UK championship, of course, he won again. He beat Ronnie O'Sullivan in a, just an unbelievable final, 10-7. Centuries flying in, big breaks flying in all over the place. He withstood a comeback from O'Sullivan. Uh, Mark Selby, you know, the real deal, an authentic great of the game. Yeah, no doubt about that. And um, for him, you know, it was a big match in, in the final against O'Sullivan, who, like I said, had, had beaten him quite heavily on a couple of occasions. He'd beaten him a couple of times in, in the Championship League, although we don't really include that. But he had actually beaten him four times early season, early in the year. So, you know, the final was a tough game. There was probably questions for both of them to answer, I think. 
Now, Ronnie, you know, he, he hasn't won anything for a while. He'd lost in a few finals. But unfortunately for him, he lost again. But you know, Selby won uh, on merit. And um, I think he's now been proved over, over long uh, tournaments, long frame duration matches uh, to be the toughest of the lot to beat now. I think I know things can change, but right now, you know, come come Sheffield, no one's going to particularly want to run into him, are they? Absolutely. We don't know, as we record this, who wins the Scottish Open. It's four each at the, at the halfway stage, so you'll know before us. We're recording this in the past. You're listening in the future. Um, but in general, it's been a very vibrant time for the game, hasn't it, uh, throughout the years? So much happening. Like I say, you know, you, you can't really, not with time to dwell on one event because we're suddenly into the next one, and that's set to continue into next year. Yeah, I mean, I think the Home Nation series have been brilliant. You know, Eurosports coverage, again, you know, we're both involved in that. So, But I do think it's been very, very good, and, you know, Working alongside Jimmy White, that's, that's that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Ronnie, when he's not in the tournament, obviously comes along and does a bit, and it's just it's just great fun. And I do think you know the event that we're here now in Scotland, in Glasgow, there's another good one. I suppose there's a few tweaks that might be done. I mean, obviously the one two eight is is the issue with a lot of people, but generally speaking, I think it gives a chance to all. And uh, I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the, the series, and I think it's been a, a great year for snooker. The players are very busy. You shouldn't underestimate that they're going to need a break every now and then, but uh, you know they've got to pick the right times. Most of them don't really want to miss out, do they? Mm. So, any predictions for next year? I mean, I guess the World Championship everyone, everyone will look at. Now, Mark Selby's won the second. There's no curse for second time, no. as far as I know, unless unless one's been introduced. He would. I don't know whether he'll be the favourite. Ronnie usually is tournament favourite, but Selby, top of that draw, you know, you could see him winning the third. Yeah, he could win it again. I, I mean, I, I'm. I don't think anyone's, you know, the years of Davis winning multiple times in, in consecutive years, as he did, and of course Stephen Hendry doing that, I think it's quite tough now for anybody to come and do that because, you know, you've got players like Robertson, like Ding, like Trump, who, who would like to win it again. I, I would not necessarily go with Selby, but he is, of course, going to be very tough to beat. Do you know, early on, I, I wouldn't like to, to offer you a winner now. I would love to see Judd Trump become world champion. Um, I do sort of take issue with people say it's inevitable that he'll win it because it's not inevitable that he'll win it is it let's be honest I mean Jimmy White never won it and he was in six finals so I would never say that but I, I'd love to see Judd win it and in terms of sort of new tournament winners again it's difficult because normally you would you would look at a, a young player coming through and say okay he's got a great chance but Mark King you know he's, he's not a young man anymore he, he's been a pro 25 years I guess it's all up for grabs isn't it so many tournaments basically anyone could come through I'm very interested to see how the three young Chinese players go <coughs> in 2017. Uh, you've got Zhu Yulong, who uh, uh, came on the wrong side of Jimmy White, actually, in the, in the qualifiers just recently, beat him, uh, did uh, the experience Jimmy White. And you've got uh, uh, Yan Bingtao, who's 16 as we speak. You know, he's another one that's a very, very talented player. Uh, and Xiao Jintong is another one. So I think that you know, you've got some really good players coming through. Those three young Chinese players are the ones that I'm pinning my hopes in, actually, for, for that part of the world. I mean, it's not really a young man's game anymore. That's the thing, you know. I mean, people say, oh, you know, always come up to me, all these youngsters now. But there's not that many of them, you know. It's a 40-something game, Snooker. And if you're a 24-year-old like Kyron Wilson, um, you're considered the young man of the game. You know, Ronnie O'Sullivan was UK champion when he was 17. So I think if you're going to get a new wave of players, it's going to probably be from China, it's going to be those three, the youngsters coming through. One of those could conceivably win something during the course of 2017.
Okay, well, we shall see. Uh, that is it for this year. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll be back next year. So thank you, Neil, as well, for your company. And all it remains for us to do is wish you a very Merry Christmas, and we'll see you in 2017. Sports Social Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.